Hi everyone, and welcome to my sauntering podcast. My name is Paul White, and I live in a gorgeous place called Weymouth. And this podcast is a collection of saunters that were born in lockdown, but it's also got some additional stuff which is just fresh, hot off the press. praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest sauntering podcasts. Cookie, so we're on chapter 44 of Genesis and you'll remember that um Joseph had just had a meal with his brothers and he'd still kept his identity a secret. Good morning, Alison and Wills. Um, And they didn't, so they didn't know who he was. He was speaking to them through an interpreter. He could hear their conversation and understand it completely. But um, they didn't know he was doing that, of course. And they were surprised by his, well, they were flabbergasted, I'm sure, by his um, pinpoint accuracy of knowledge about the family and I'm sure that just instilled a greater level of respect and regard for Joseph among his brothers and they probably thought he was a master wizard or something that he could know their ages and all this kind of stuff anyway so they've they've had their meal with him and they've made merry and now chapter 44 verse 1 it says then he commanded the steward of his house fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack and then put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. And jo- and he did as Joseph told him. So the, the plot thickens, doesn't it? Joseph still hasn't finished with his family therapy session with his brothers. He's going to kind of use this. And I'm sure there's some wisdom of God in this whole process. And it seems like on a superficial reading that Joseph is being mean, but actually the more we read it, we realise there's actually not a hint of vindictiveness or um, revenge in Joseph's actions, but he's gracious all the way through and treats them with utmost respect, although he does treat them a bit roughly in in some of their early exchanges. Buenos dias, Flor. Um, so, but now this has got really serious, hasn't it? Remember the reluctance of Jacob, the dad, to let Benjamin, the son of his right hand, the last remaining son of Rachel, his beloved wife, go down to Egypt. But finally he's caved in because it's that or starve. And now Joseph has hidden his cup in the sack of grain. Oh my word. This is a silver cup. It's a special one. It's got Joe written on it probably in gold or something anyway anyway as soon as a or world's best prime minister or something um as soon as the morning was light the men were sent away with their donkeys so they hadn't had time to check the bags they just headed off with their donkeys loaded up with grain as soon as the morning was light the men were sent on their way with their donkeys they had gone only a short distance from the city now joseph said to his steward up Follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and by this he practices divination? 
you have done evil in doing this. You can imagine that kind of message coming to you early in the morning. You've got up early to catch your flight and you're there and you just headed into the departure lounge. You got through security and someone comes in and rants at you. It's going to be stressful. So this similar thing. Good morning, Dot. Good to see you. And so he's saying, go after them and give them this message and be be cross with them. <laughs> so first, I'm sure the steward of the house is kind of looking at his boss thinking, no comprendi, I don't know what you're doing, but it's kind of, oh yeah, I'll join in with this. It seems like fun. Verse six, when he overtook them, he spoke to them these words and they said to him, why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from me. <laughs> I'm just trying to lose my place, sorry. Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Verse 8, behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? He's saying, come on, seriously, you know, this, you know, how the, you know the story. We brought the money back that was we found hidden in the sacks last time. We're, we're honest in this. We haven't. How could we possibly consider stealing from your Lord? But basically the boss of Egypt's house. Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we also will be my Lord's servants. And he said, let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. So he's not asking for blood, but he is accepting their offer of servitude of the person who is found to be guilty. And so he said, let it be as you say. He, but it's interesting that the brothers who were a scheming load of monkeys really they now actually trusted each other and they thought better of each other than that anyone would. So they could say, no, of course, no one, no, none of us have done that. We know, we, you know, we trust each other. We're, we're brothers. That's not the kind of thing we would do. And so they're prepared to make this bold statement and say, look, whoever's got this, whatever it is you're looking for, um, this silver thing can become your servant. And so he says, let it be as you say, he who is found with it shall be my servant and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground. I'm sure they were really eager to demonstrate their innocence. Each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground and each man opened his sack and he searched beginning with the eldest and ending up with the youngest. I mean, it's like a quiz show, isn't it? Or a reality TV show on telly. It's just the tension is building all the time. And he searched beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes and every man loaded his donkey and they returned to the city. Now, when I was a little boy, there was a breakfast cereal that we only, only occasionally had that was called Sugar Stars. It was basically sugar in a kind of yellow colour format in the shape of a star. We, I loved it because it was so sweet, but they would give you little um, little free gifts. And one time there was a series of free gifts they did and they were Thunderbird models made of plastic and they were coloured like the actual Thunderbird. 
that they represented. And you could collect the whole set of however many Thunderbirds there were. And they were plastic and they sort of snapped together. Oh, it was so exciting. And so you would tip out the cereals and then this plastic thing would come, a little plastic thing would come out with your kit in it and you had a Thunderbird. Well, this is like the reverse, isn't it? This is the kind of negative version of the free gift in the sack of cereals. They open the sack of grain and oh my word, there it is. There's that silver cup. He's got the free gift, but it's, it looks like he's stolen it. And so all the brothers are thinking, oh my, the evidence, we can't argue with the evidence. And they put all the stuff back in their sacks load their donkeys and head back to the city with heavy hearts, no doubt. Verse 14, when Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? So he's kind of using this air of mystery and exploiting it now to very a powerful dramatic effect and you can see these guys literally quaking in their boots and they're thinking oh my word he knows how old we are he knows everything about us he literally knows <laughs> that one of us has nicked his cup and he says so oh and Judah who's become the spokesperson for the family now said what shall we say to my lord what shall we speak or how can we clear ourselves God has found out the guilt of your servants, and behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he in whose hand the cup has been found. He's basically saying, yeah, we are guilty clearly, and, you know, God has shown you this, and there's nowhere for us to hide. So I guess that means we're your servants. We That's what we said, we'll be your servants. Oh, gosh. Verse 17, but he said, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go in peace to your father. Well, he knows that's an absolute impossibility. There's no way if they leave Benjamin behind because he's the guilty one and then go back to their father, they could possibly remotely on any planet whatsoever, go back in peace to their dad. It would just be the worst ever meeting of people that had happened in history if they'd have turned up without Benjamin. So he says, listen, just leave the, leave the guilty guy with me. The rest of you go on back. Have a nice day. Live your lives. Verse 18, then Judah went up to him and said, oh, my Lord, Please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears. Now, this is intercession, what's going on here, just in case anyone's interested. This is when he's when someone is representing the, the a third party and they're pleading their case before a powerful judge. And it's the kind of thing we do when we pray and we intercede for people before the Lord. Um, so he says, oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in your Lord's ears. And let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. So this is kind of formalities. This is respectful addressing. And Judah just trying to create for himself a little opportunity with Joseph to negotiate. My Lord asked his servant, saying, have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, we have a father, an old man and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead. And he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. 
And we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. And when we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go down if our younger brother go. Um, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down, for we cannot see this man's face, i.e. yours, Joseph, unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, surely he has been torn to pieces, and they never did correct that mistake in, in Jacob's mind. Side note. And I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me and harm happens to him, you will bring down my grey hairs in evil to Sheol. He's saying you will, if you don't bring him, you know, if you take him away and anything happens to him, then, oh my, I will die a man of great sorrow. I will die in unquenchable grief. Verse 30. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to you, Sorry, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the grey hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant has become a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain, that's me, Judah, instead of the boy, Benjamin, as a servant to my Lord. And let the boy go back with his brothers, for how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Now, that's a really, really interesting piece of negotiation from Judah. Judah is interceding. He's using incredibly respectful language He's saying he's always referring to himself and his dad as Joseph's servant. He's taking a very subservient kind of tone, but he's nonetheless bold enough to intercede on behalf of his brother and his father because he just he can't bear the thought of causing any more misery to his dad. Now, this would have spoken massive, massive volumes to Joseph because what he's looking for in his brother's is some degree of repentance and some degree of sorrow over their action and some degree of reform in their hearts. And so what he's seeing now from Judah is precisely that. He's seeing a very broken guy who's kind of state, he's putting his life on the line to intercede for the life of his brother. And he's perfectly willing to be held as a slave instead of Benjamin so that Benjamin can be set free. Good morning, Pat and Mike. And so there, there is a huge degree of tenderness in this as Judah pleads and he just can't bear the misery that that would bring to his dad. And he never once says to Joseph, you would be causing my father's death. He's just saying, listen, if I if I can't get this lad back to his dad, we will. Me and my brothers will be causing my father's miserable death. So this is a really different um, a different tone 
these brothers have been changed by this whole process. And Joseph's family therapy sessions seem to be working. For chapter 45, I'm going to cry, so just help me. <laughs> chapter 45. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So he's sending all of his Egyptian servants out, including the steward who's been doing, running his errands for him. And he says, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. <laughs> and he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. They would have thought, my goodness me, this is whatever is going on now. This is beyond crazy. Good morning, Ruth and Chris. This is beyond crazy. This is distressing these guys and they're seeing this powerful prince in front of them just crumpling and blowing his nose into his handkerchief and wailing and sobbing with grief and joy and emotion as he's as he's making himself known to his brothers now we did say didn't we that there will be a time when Jesus reveals himself fully to his brothers and where our expectation is that and our prayer is that that god that that jesus will have that moment where he makes himself known to his ethnic brothers the jewish um nation the uh, uh wherever they may be scattered on the face of the earth but this is such a such a moving story and he says i am joseph is my father still alive? And that's why he'd been asking all these um, probing questions. He wanted to know that dad was still alive somewhere and that there was a possibility now that they would actually get to see each other before he died. And so Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. So they're holding back. They don't know whether they're going to be in massive trouble or not. Joseph says to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they come near. And again, there's great tenderness in this. He's not demanding. He's not ordering them. He's not saying, get down on your knees and grovel, properly grovel now. He's saying, come near to me, please. Oh, God, can you just hear Jesus saying to his brothers, come near to me? <laughs> come near to me, please. That's the heart of Jesus for the Jewish people his own ethnic brothers there's also the heart of Jesus for everyone on the face of the earth alive today come near to me please and they came near and he said I'm your brother Joseph whom you sold into Egypt and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here so he's not holding back he's saying you sold me I'm here because you sold me he's not softening the blow but at the same time he's not going for revenge for God you yourself, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves. Don't reproach yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither ploughing nor harvest. Joseph knew exactly where they were in his prophetic calendar because God had revealed it through the dream of Pharaoh. And they'd only had two years so far of this famine, and they, they had lots more to go through. And there'll be neither ploughing nor harvest. And God sent me before you. God 
sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house, ruler over the land of Egypt. Hurry up. Sorry, hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. Let's just pause there a second. This is the most incredible statement. Uh, he is he's saying, listen, although you sent me down here, this was your doing. It wasn't. God was working in this whole thing. And God sent me here because God had a plan to preserve a remnant for you that your people would not be wiped out by famine. Um because we're only two years into it, but God sent me here ahead of you to preserve a remnant for you. And there is this incredible um, truth that Joseph is a prophetic type, a picture of Jesus. And we can see how Jesus was sent to this world and he became, he put aside all of his glory and all of his greatness. And he became a servant to gather a remnant for God, to gather a remnant of God's people, to call them together to become the church, the ecclesia, God's called out ones. And so there's so much we could think about the parallels between Joseph and Jesus, but I will keep you here all day if we get started on that. So I'm going to just throw that in there and say, please reflect on this story in the light of that. But I love these little truths that come out here and these little statements that say so much. Joseph said, God has made me a father to Pharaoh. Pharaoh was probably the most powerful person on the earth and Joseph was a slave. Yet because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit in Joseph, his gifts and abilities and stuff, they're not just natural. These are supernatural gifts and abilities that are in him and they make a way for him. They bring him into the presence of the king and he becomes so trusted to Pharaoh that he can say, I'm like a father to Pharaoh. I'm, I'm his go-to person. I'm the person he comes to for wisdom. Can you imagine that? And so whatever context you're in, if you are full of the Holy Spirit, you can become like a father, even to your boss, even to the head teacher of the school, even to your um, the CEO of your company. If you are carrying that anointing and that presence of Jesus around in you and that wisdom and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and all that stuff and you're remaining true to it and faithful to it and not not compromising and skimping and kind of having double standards anyway so he says God has made me Lord of all Egypt isn't that incredible and he says so this is the message he's saying to your to 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 his brothers to tell the, their dad, and he's saying, "Thus says your son son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. Don't wait about, Dad. Just come." Verse ten: You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, and your herds, and all that you have. There I will. There I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all the honour in Egypt and of all that you have seen. 
hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. He literally couldn't control himself anymore. He threw himself <coughs> on Benjamin's neck and just sobbed. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. You can imagine it, can't you? And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. So he didn't just favour Benjamin. He didn't. He wasn't snar snarky with the other brothers and kind of cold shoulder them, make a massive fuss of Benjamin. He did make a massive fuss of Benjamin, but then he hugged them all and kissed them all and wept over them all. And there's this beautiful spirit of grace in this reconciliation. It's absolutely magnificent. And he even... <laughs> The scheming, naughty guys who sent him away and be, you know, their treachery and betrayal. He loves them and welcomes them in. Verse 16. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this. Load your beast and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. So Joseph knew he had authority to invite his dad um, to come and bring all their stuff and settle in the land of Goshen. But now Pharaoh is coming out with exactly the same statement. And he's saying, Joseph, I'm commanding you, right? You command everybody else around here, but now I am pulling rank on you. And I'm telling you, Joseph, sort this out. Get your dad here as soon as possible. Tell him not even to worry about his stuff because there's enough stuff here. He can leave bits behind, but take the wagon, send wagons and all the rest of it and bring him into the land and he can live off the fat of the land can you imagine they're in a famine they're in um, the middle of the worst famine for maybe lifetimes and yet pharaoh is joseph has so much favor on his life that pharaoh's invitation is come and live on the fat of the land i'm going to set apart for you the best part of egypt to live in this is so extraordinary. Just one second. We've got to get just this last paragraph or two in. But he says, have no concern for your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. This is because of the favour of God that is on Joseph. Isn't it incredible? Verse 21. The sons of Israel did so and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes but to Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver, which is probably worth more than the cup was, and five changes of clothes. To his father, he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt, 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread and provision for his father for the journey. Then he sent his brothers away. And as they departed, he said to them, do not quarrel on the way. Right. So I don't want you walking out of here. We've had such a lovely time. I don't want you walking out of this beautiful revival meeting and squabbling on the way home. Guys, kids in the car, you've just been in the presence of God having a glorious meeting and there's a squabble breaking out and suddenly 
dad's an angry man, or whatever, or the squabbles can break out even in the time of blessing. He says, right, this is not the time to be squabbling and fighting on the way home. Just go home, be blessed. And so they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob and they told him Joseph is still alive and he is ruler over all of the land of Egypt and his heart became numb. So Jacob can barely believe it and his heart became numb for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph which he had said to them and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father revived and Israel said it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't get much better than this. This is glorious, isn't it? This is the most wonderful, wonderful, wonderful story. It describes what a life full of the Holy Spirit can actually produce and how much blessing can flow from that. And just as Joseph went down into Egypt, an anonymous slave, and in a few short years rose to become the Lord of the whole nation. We have a Jesus who is the Messiah, who came to this earth and took on the very nature of a servant. Paul says he humbled himself and he took on the nature of a servant and became obedient even to death on the cross. And in Jesus' obedience as a servant, he brings many sons to glory. <laughs> Woohoo! This is rock and roll. This is awesome, isn't it? So why don't we just thank God for Jesus and Joseph. Lord, we thank you for this incredible story. We thank you for all the ways it makes us think about Jesus, but also the incredible principles that are in here. Lord, I don't want any single one of them to be missed. I want us all to just suck the very juice out of these stories. So Lord, as we ponder and reflect on them today, speak to our hearts and show us your anointing in our lives and let us be like Joseph. Let us be like Jesus wherever we go. In your incredible name, Jesus. Amen. Bless you, Dot. Lovely to see you. I am super excited to be able to recommend to you my book, The Christing. It's a whole adventure of digging deep into the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, exploring stories that may be familiar to us, but just seeing how the power and the beautiful, rich treasure of the Holy Spirit is there on every single page. And my desire as I share my own stories is that we would get caught up in that adventure together of a life pursuing the supernatural God where anything becomes possible when we're full of his Holy Spirit. And so my prayer for you as you read this book is that you'll get excited to embark on your own voyage of discovery with him but more than anything else, that you would fall more in love with Jesus. So please, if you have not got a copy, do buy one. You can get it online on all the major um, online bookstores, including Amazon, Eden, and others. You can buy it from Christian bookshops, and, or you can message me and get your own signed copy. There you go. But do 
like it and review it because that really really does help thank you so much <laughs>